Hello and welcome to Life with Fancy podcast, a place where you will find all type of conversation like mental health, self-love, self-care, trauma, hobbies, and more. Uh, with, this episode, with this podcast, I want to create a place where we support one another in business and personal life. Hope you enjoy this episode. Now, let's get the show started. On today's episode, I have the pleasure to talk to Starlight. So I met her because she showed up at the Power Networking for Podcasters event, an event that I host in the Women in Podcasting community, where Jennifer Hensel uh, helped uh, women create, uh, start, and uh, monetize their podcast. But let's get to know Starlight. So Starlight, welcome to the show. Tell us, what is life with you? Thanks so much for having me, Francie. So what is life with me? That's a great question. I am a business growth strategist, but I work entirely remotely. Uh, About six years ago, I packed up my entire life and decided to move and live abroad. I moved to Boca del Toro, Panama. So I'm living in a little cluster of Caribbean islands off the coast of Panama, just south of Costa Rica. Um, I really wanted to slow my life down. I was living uh, in San Diego in a shitty rundown apartment, a block from the ocean, paying an arm and a leg. And I came here on a whim vacation. And I realized I could live in a shitty rundown apartment anywhere in the world because I work for myself. I was able to work remotely. And why was I committing to this really um, high stress hustle and bustle lifestyle when what I really wanted to do was live more of an island life? And so I moved here with the intent to be a digital nomad. And um, it, you know, and then the pandemic happened and I was lucky enough to get locked down here where I was able to be in the Caribbean and keep it chill and kind of be far away from a lot of the major epicenters of what's going on. We definitely were affected here, but in the process, I definitely put down roots in this island. And now um, I got my dog and I got my love life and I have my small little world here on the edge of the planet while I have clients who are all over the world. Oh my gosh, girl. I love that. How crazy. <laughs> I know, right? Like I did it at 15, but I, uh, from Puerto Rico, cause I'm originally from Puerto Rico to move yeah. to the United States. But yeah. like I was at 15, like I didn't think about it. No thought. I was just like, Hey, I called my biological father and was like, Hey, what's up? It's now your turn. But like <laughs> to do it as a full adult and just be like, Hey, let's just try this something new so how how that's just crazy I was living in San Diego for about 10 years and for my vacations I would often um I had like a little four-wheeling convertible jeep and I would pack my jeep full of camping stuff and head down the coast to Baja Mexico and down to this little town called Mula Hay which is on the Sea of Cortez side of the peninsula and while I would be down there I would see all of these snowbirds from Canada, retirees from all over the U.S. who would drive down there to spend the winter in the warmer part of Mexico. And I had made some friends in that arena. And one day we were kind of sitting there on the beach and I looked around and I saw all these retirees living the chill life, kind of just, you know, doing the, what's his name? I forget the name of the musician that'll come to me. 
the like sitting on the dock of the bay dude, right? And margarita lifestyle. And I saw them and I was like, I don't know why I would want to wait until I'm retired to do this. Like, I don't want to live so fast. I don't want to live so stressed. And I know it definitely comes from a place of privilege for me to be able to make that choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was years in the making of my like finding what it would look like to live abroad and to just like, to be a badass boss bitch, like have no doubts. But on the other hand, not have to live this like really highly intense lifestyle and live a lifestyle at a pace in which I could do what I do really well, but I don't have to do it at a pace in which it requires me like this, this stress and necessity to survive, grinding in the city, sitting in traffic, doing a lot of stuff like that, right? And uh, so when the time did come for me to actually make the leap, it, it was something I had been thinking about for a really long time. Mm. I absolutely love that, you know, because here in America, you know, we're, that's what we're used to, you know, you come over here, like I told um, my friend from Dominican Republic, like we are the American dream, and we're exhausted, (laughs) because we're, we have a nine to five job, well, I have a nine to nine job, because mine is 12 hours, and then I'm a male lady during the day. I'm podcaster at night and I'm trying to do this and I have my family. So there's always something going on. And that's what we're like, you're supposed to do that. And it's like, no, calm down, slow down. There is different ways to do your business. So yeah, how does your business come about your mission? Well, so my mission is really connected to my name and my purpose, right? And it's kind of crazy, like with a name like Starlight, everybody thinks that I it's it. <laughs> I pick myself. Um, I'm going to pause for a sec. Can you hear the dog downstairs that's crying or is just wanted to? So my name is my purpose and my purpose is my name. Um, my Everybody asks if my name is really Starlight and the truth is, can you hear that? You're fine. It's very far okay, away. Okay. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. I just want to make super sure. So um, my mom wanted to name me Rainbow Starlight. And the whole time that my, she was in labor, which three whole days, she'll never let me forget. Uh, my grandmother was trying to convince her not to name me that. It's too weird. She's not going to have any friends. Rainbow Starlight. Oh, my God. So my mom named me Lucinda Starlight with the hopes that eventually my last name would start with the letter D and my initials would be LSD and she would usurp my grandmother after all. That's hilarious. I know, right? But Lucinda, I've been called Star or Starlight my entire life. Um, I was called Star as a kid. And then when I got to college, I was like, okay, it's Starlight now. And, uh, but Lucinda means leader of light. And it's a name that really only cops and doctors use with me, but it has a lot of significance behind it. And there was a reason that my mom chose that name for me. And I realized that that very much applies to my purpose and my role in the world and how I help and engage with other people. I very much embody the, at least I would like to say that I embody the archetype of being the guide and helping people pass through darkness and confusion, right? And lighting the path. And sometimes that takes the form of uh, analytical, strategic business opportunities and finding a path through the chaos and the noise in this um, sort of badass business sort of 
way, but then in other contexts, it's very much a metaphysical and spiritual journey where there's a side of me that's not particularly monetized in this context, but is very much a part of who I am, where in my friend's life and in the inner circle, I am a person that helps navigate the subconscious and navigate difficult parts of the journey, all tied to this purpose that I have in my name. And so in the context of what I do in the world and my purpose, the reason I created Bottled Lightning, which is my business name, was because through the point of my career when I was working in the corporate space, uh, I was often accused of being able to capture lightning in a bottle, right? And capturing lightning in a bottle is this idea that like, it only strikes once in a while. It's this really etheric, difficult thing to do. It comes from being raised as a, I was very much a creative person. And people were always like, oh my God, Starlight's so creative, la la la. And I realized through the stages of my career that actually creativity, um, innovation, solutioneering, all of these things of like finding the path is really a formula and it can be done and shown and repeated, right? And this thing that people thought that was unique specifically to me stopped being unique to me and started being something that I could actually capture and repeat. So I called my business Bottled Lightning because I can continue to deliver results in a way in which it feels absolutely insane that like, how is this even possible? And yet it's it's really a formula that I use in my business and my way of being. And then of course it ties to the theme of my name and starlight and all of my sort of constellations of language and offers have this concept of like lighting the way, setting forth a spark, creating a new and motivating positive change in the world. Which brings me to answer your question. What is my purpose and why am I here? It's to light the way, which means for me, that also means making the path easier for people who are trying to make the world a better place. I believe that people who are doing good work in the world should be well-paid, live fulfilling lives on their terms, and that the natural default of doing good work in the world is to have a peaceful and successful life. And so the kind of clients that I work with and the sort of projects that attract me are people who are inevitably doing good work in the world and yet can really use that burst of acceleration that comes from a dose of bottled lightning. That's a long way to come to your answer. Oh my gosh, I absolutely <laughs> love that girl. Just your energy, the name, the meaning, just every little detail. I love right. it. I look back at all the times in my life when I was having like a little existential crisis where I was like, who am I? What am I doing in the world? And it's hilarious to me now because it's always been coded into my name and who I am and denying it and trying to pretend I was blind to it for whatever existential reason I was going through at the time um, now seems laughable because uh, over time, it's really been something I've been able to embrace about myself, whether I don't know if I was born Starlight or I became Starlight because of the name, but like nature or nurture, I don't know, but it's, it really is who I am part and parcel and coming to terms with that, loving myself for that, being willing to be vulnerable and in that place and being willing to go, you know what, sometimes I'm the light in the darkness, which means it means being uncomfortable in places where people might find themselves in squishy situations, right? Like it, it there's um I don't know if it's the Sagittarius in me or what but I 
I'm not particularly judgmental. There's very little that will like make me clutch my pearls. Mm -hmm. And part of that makes it easy for me to meet people where they are and go, hi, down here in the little mucky, muddy confusion. Don't know what we're doing. Don't know where we're going. Um, you want, want to find a way out of this and through this, let's go. Instead of being like, oh my God, look at you down here in the muck. Right. And, and, uh, it's really been a trip because there's also been times in my life where I go, why is it that I always seem to meet and serve people when they're going through this intense, um, confusing part of their life, whether that be as a friendship or even with clients occasionally, how is it that that's usually where they find me? And yet, again, it all comes back to this purpose that was kind of built in my name of that being a light is why the fuck I'm here. So like that means being comfy in the darkness in a way in which people may not find themselves doing that on the day to day. Right. Oh, I love that. (laughs) So do you take your uh, clients through like a mastermind or do you work more on a one on one with your clients? So my, the sort of people that I help are expert coaches and consultants and established business owners and like published thought leaders who've got a business in place that's doing well, but they've gotten to the point at which they want to take it to the next level. They want to work less. They want to benefit from the fruits of all their hard work. Um, And they've probably created a lot of programs and content and things and don't know how to really take it to a level in which they're not working so hard to make ends meet and make it all happen. In that context, this leads to like another sort of part um, of my purpose. Usually I find that part of the next level of scaling a business like that is creating communities around their concept and their vision and their ideas, right? My clients are trying to put amazing things into the world. Um, amazing work in the world is done better when there's strength in numbers. And so I'm often helping my clients forge new communities or accelerate communities around their concept so that their concept takes flight and grows in bigger and better ways. That's primarily where I'm helping people. I don't run a community myself because it's kind of like watching the sausage be made and making the sausage every day and then having to eat the sausage. It's a little bit overkill. I'm a part of so many communities just by the nature of my work and and the kind of the things that I appreciate in the world. Um, But creating community around an idea falls back to this thing that I really believe, which is the end of the day, AI, technology, online, internet, businesses, it doesn't really matter. We're always ending up dealing with human beings. And when we deny that human part of ourselves, or we forget that human part of ourselves to put on the marketing tone of voice or the sales tone of voice or whatever it is, and we forget that human being bit, we begin to falter. And through a career of technology and startups and entrepreneurship and, and all, all sorts of magnificent things that have brought me to where I am today. The one thing I learned was that it always comes down to strength in numbers and how can you create human connection in a digital space? And so I primarily work with my clients either to holistically level up their business to the next level or to help them accelerate their business to reach more people while doing less work in the context of seeding a community, which can then grow and evolve into a movement that even further amplifies their impact in the world. 
Nice. Do you have any tips for us in that matter? <laughs> uh, yes. So I like to think about uh, creating community, the early stages of a community, as like hosting a party. You know, we probably all had this happen to us where like occasionally you show up to the party before everybody else has gotten there. And maybe you're a friend of a friend who got invited to the party. So you don't really know the hostess. And you're kind of, it's weird because you got there a little too early and your friend's not there yet. And the hostess is still sort of preparing, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people are scared of that initial stage when they start planning a community and they don't know how to overcome it. And this is where it really boils down to the relationships that you have in place before you open the doors to the party. A good hostess knows that you invite a few of your besties over before the party gets started and you put Jennifer on drinks and you put Maria on DJ and you get help to create a vibe for the party so that as the hostess, when my guests begin to arrive, I'm prepared and I can meet them at the door with a personal welcome and I can show them where to put their coat and I can hand them a mojito and I can introduce them to someone that they have something in common with and I can shoo them out to the pool in the back where music is happening. And that experience when translated into community makes all the difference in customer lifetime value. It will triple it, a positive, in, in the con if we take the community context and the party context, what we're talking about is onboarding and integration into a community, right? And you know, when you show up to a party and the hostess connects you with a few people to talk to, all of a sudden you don't feel the need to be a wallflower. You've got a drink in your hand. You know where to find the bathroom. You're cut. Okay. The music's popping. You've got conversations that you can already emerge into. That's how you set up a really kicking party. That's how mm. people stick around for a long time. That same metaphor applies when seeding and creating a community. Is there a welcoming onboarding sequence in your community that makes people feel personally welcomed, shows them where to find stuff, gives them an easy win. And the easy win in this context is like a, a margarita, right? I'm putting something in your hand that makes you feel at home in this place. And it's also going to lead you towards the ultimate goal, which is staying and enjoying yourself for the evening. And then there's the element of introducing them to other members inside of the community so that the hostess isn't the sole person that they're connecting with, right? That they have, um, I use the term, like a community that's designed around one person isn't a community, it's a cult, right? Like it, it's not about one people. Yeah. Community is about being able to connect with a purpose and an intent. And so it's really important when you first enter a community that you make multiple contacts. And yet as the hostess of that community, it's incredibly important for me to facilitate those connections and make them as easy as possible. And then you can send them into the world of the community to learn and thrive and connect and do whatever the purpose of the community is. But when you invest in those first, in the context of a community, seven to 10 days, strategically, this is where I'm going to put my nerd hat on. The customer lifetime value is tripled by a positive onboarding experience. They stay three times as long. They upgrade to other packages over time. They, you will, the, uh, three times the lifetime value of a customer can be really significant financially when you start doing the math of what that takes. 
And yet it's such an area that's overlooked in the context of even in the world of courses and memberships and programs, people overlook this part because they're, they're just jumping right into the program that they've designed and they're ready to get started. And yet those, that first week is such a psychologically ripe time to forge a genuine connection with somebody that can actually strategically bring you a lot of money over time, but also does what's really important underneath all of this, which is forge connections, uh, create impact in the world, do something bigger than yourself. And in this small little way of just being a good hostess at the party, you're able to absolutely magnify the impact that you can have across the board. That's one of my favorite things to share with community builders. I love that. <laughs> and a community is like everything. Everybody's looking for it at the moment, you know, back happening, the pandemic and everything else. So people are like craving that community again. Absolutely. You know, it's something that that's definitely gotten more mainstream recently, but I I think people often forget that the core of community is what keeps human beings surviving. And that we've been creating communities since we were gathering around fires um, in the caves at night and protecting each other and telling stories and creating a connection amongst each other in which um, we knew that we would have protection and somebody would have our back and we would have somebody else's back. And I think it's something that we like slip up a little bit when we think about the online world as though that same connection and necessity doesn't apply in the online space because it's all digital or whatever, but really being able to create that forge of connection, create that common bond of community is essential to our individual and human species survival. And so it's not just about doing it in an online business. It's not just about a really great way for a startup to reach um, you know, uh, financial viability. There, sure, impact, strength in numbers, be an author, take your message to the world, whatever. But there's also this element of like, how well do you know your neighbors? And what are you learning about your own connection and community of where you are and where you live? And who maybe your family or maybe your extended family or your friendship circle and like the importance of community to our individual survival. We, it's a human need to belong. And then in a human species level, we, we literally cannot survive as individuals. It's kind of that one of the fun illusions of growing up in American culture is like, this individualism of rugged, pull yourself up by your bootstraps mm -hmm. and it's only for you. I think you might, you might relate to this a little bit as well. It's, it's not really common culture outside of the U.S. I, I don't find that at all, especially being in a Latin country. Like my understanding of what community that is possible, what family can look like, being a part of a Latin community has taught me so much more about where American rugged individualism has actually set up us individually for failure because mm -hmm. we think we have to do it all on our own. And when I look at families and I look at cousins and wider circles and even neighborhoods of people who have grown up together and how they care and protect each other, it, it, 
it brings up this like feeling of cultural loss in a really major way where you realize like, oh shit, I have, I'm, I'm one of those people who now needs to forge and find community on my own terms because I wasn't gifted it through the context of my own culture growing up in the United States, right? And all of this really, like, I, I could wax poetic about community all day. And I think that's where I'll eventually build a podcast around is I really want to have um, community builders and people who understand how communities affected in their world come and talk about how their community is built and forged. Um, but it's something that, that is beyond a trend in the world of online business and is simply finding its place in the world of online business, but it is absolutely a fucking human essential need that has been since the dawn of time. And the more that we realize that and empower those sort of connections and leverage what has already been shown to us by other cultures, by other times in history and how people create community, how they kept community strong, how they forged relationships and made amazing things happen by bonding together, the more that a community creator in the online space understands that, the more powerful their own community can be, regardless of the trend of membership and subscription models may or may not be. Yeah, no, I love that because as I mentioned, I am originally from Puerto Rico. So I have three families and one family I have 10 or 11, 10 and 11 aunts and uncles. And then another family have nine or 10, the same. So I have like 50 cousins, yeah. uh, first cousins that that's not even second cousin. No, like <laughs> this is first cousins. And it was amazing. And, but when I was a teenager, like it was overwhelming. And uh, in a way I saw my mom like having a family and taking care of the household as a weakness so I wanted to be different I'm gonna be independent I'm gonna have my own money you know because my mom was a stay-at-home mom and I was like oh I'm not doing that and everything else and seeing the family how they depended on other family members it was like oh my gosh sick to my stomach well fast forward I'm in the United States I go to the my darkest days uh, I make a lot of mistakes and this, this and that. I get myself in a lot of situations. And now I'm like, oh, wow, I could not have survived alone. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad that I created my own family. Yeah. That I have like my own community now. And I have been working on social media for the longest time doing uh, different network marketing stuff. Yeah. But it was until last year that I created my podcast and now I promote myself. So yeah. now it's different. But I want to create that community again to show people like you have to ask for help. You have to know um, like me. OK, so like I love dessert. So I got my girl that does the cake. So I know that for birthdays and everything. I'm like, hey, girl, I got a new birthday. Yeah. You know, what's up? You know? Uh, then writers, I just finished an interview with a writer in Kansas City. So it's like, oh, wow, because of another writer in Kansas City. So it's just knowing and introducing people to others that I might not be able to help you in whatever you need at the moment. 
but I have somebody else that can come in and take over. And so we don't do life alone because doing life alone sucks. It's the worst. Doing life alone, I, I like to say like going it alone is a shit way to live and an even worse way to do business. It's just, it it's a common misconception about quote unquote, the American dream. And there is a lot that's possible for people who embrace individualism. But at the end of the day, the hero's journey Every person and um, every person is finding belonging as part of their human journey of transformation, as part of their growth. They're finding their people. They're learning to step out of who they are and find belonging amongst the world of others. And like, it's just, it's an essential stage of humanity. How can we deny its importance? There's also a uh, the thing that you mentioned that I thought was interesting was like the the idea of like gender roles in the context of a culture versus the function of a community having common values and and a common mission and vision together. Yeah. There's a lot of like there's a lot of interwoven pieces there that can be extracted individually, but there's also an element of like how do those things all play a part in the sort of community that you are in and then creating and finding your own community that you actually really vibe with versus uh the just inevitable patriarchy and capitalistic society and all of the things that we sort of figure out and have to navigate um, in in today's modern world of of Western culture. It's absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, and I can see it. I can see the structure within my family because there was um, six women in my families and most of them were stay at home. Yeah. But we had 24 kids to right. take care of right. so there was at least five to ten kids at all times yeah. you know and I was blessed that my mom was able to stay at home because yeah. I came more like my biological father and so I feel so bad for my mom yeah <laughs> because that poor woman did not deserve a child like me <laughs> she's insane <laughs> so and yeah. then so blessed that my dad, who took me in at one, uh, he let her, allowed her to stay at home and he's a provider and they built a really strong structure that when I came over here, like I missed that structure, yeah. you know, because everybody has their own place. And even though families sometimes can be a pain in the butt too, and a lot of troubles, uh when in time of need you are there for each other yeah. so it's just you can't do life alone you can try to be uh, a lot of people claim the self-made yeah but are you really when you have youtube google podcasts books are you yeah. really self-made you had yeah. to learn it from somewhere somehow right I think it's also interesting too, just in the context of like the 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 phrase like it takes a village to raise a child. I think the just speaking from like a white American girl, the nuclear family design in the United States by definition makes it feel like that's the that's your real family, and anything outside of that is like aunts and uncles and cousins or whatever. 
Whereas what I see in other places where I've traveled the world is that a mom isn't staying at home alone to handle it all by herself. She's got three or four other neighbors who are also home all day with their kids. And when she needs to run to the store, um, older kids are able to watch younger kids. Neighbor, she can run to her neighbor and be like, yo, hang on to this baby for a second while I go and run and handle this. And there's an element of people looking after each other because there's no, um, your nuclear family is the only people that you belong to, right? An example of that is like, you would, it's culturally inappropriate as a white lady in the US to see someone's child misbehaving and to say, oh my God, yes, <laughs> verboten, thou shalt not. But in Latin culture, that's not the case. Some random old dude will see a child misbehaving on the street and be like, hey, straighten up yourself, right? And because it takes a village to raise a child and it's not about like, oh, that child only belongs to those parents and those parents are the only people who help raise that child. It's a culture and a community that raises a child and there's a, a level of permission um, that when I first really started trying to immerse myself here locally, it was it was super uncomfortable for me because I'm trying to undo years and years of programming to find my place. I'm also trying to determine what does um, Southern California feminism look like inside of a patriarchal, highly driven Latin culture, right? And, and, and <laughs> are my behaviors feminism or are they how feminism has manifested inside of an American culture are they really me is it something I have to cling to to like fight the man while I, right and like where do I fit in and belong and so when I was first seeing this culture of interconnectivity and and less of parental ownership in a way at first I was like who, who the fuck do you think you are to tell me shit and then all of a sudden it was like, actually, no, that's part of a generous culture that doesn't say yours and mine. It says ours by default. Mm -hmm. And whether, you know, like I said, gender and patriarchy and, and culture and norms and all of that aside, the whole concept of a community is that it's ours. It's our vision. It's our goal. It's our outcome. It's us. It's not me, the individual. If it's me, the individual, and I have my little cult then I'm a cult leader, right? And the community is really, oh my goodness, my dog just made a big snorry sound. Um, the, a, a true community is interconnected and interwoven into a place at which there is no one single point of power or stress or lack where people might dip down below, the rest of the community balances out to kind of create this fluid interconnected ability. And the weird ass psychological, lessons I had to go through when I first moved here to like let go of my perception of what is good or normal or acceptable based on nothing other than programming and what I was accustomed to to look around and go what of this is actually something I need and I've been missing and need to level up myself to appreciate and be a part of which it, it continues to be a journey you know, and will be a journey until the day I die, but is really something that like has taught me a lot about coming from the tech world where 
you know, um, growth hacking and accelerating a startup to, to financial viability was all like capturing strength in numbers and creating a movement. And it was really coming from this marketing value extraction place. And so I knew how to build, I knew how to build strength in numbers, but it's only been over the years of my understanding and diving into human relationships that I've really learned what it actually takes to build community, which is a completely different fucking game. Forgive me for swearing. I'm, you know. Oh, girl, no, you're fine. fine okay. <laughs> you're fine. I have one too. Um, as long as it's in English and not close to my mom. Because <laughs> that's yeah. another no, thing. No, 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 no. No, Latin... around here, baby. No, no, no. no, no. respeto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about having a Latin mom, my Puerto Rican mom. Uh -huh. like I'm 35 and, and I'm uh -huh. still not allowed to curse. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm loving this conversation and you're actually like making making me miss Puerto Rico because yeah. I do miss that culture and that community and that support and people being there for each other yeah. uh I I do have to ask like what is a day in your life just because you're in a different right? country and like living that experience yeah you know um it, I I live in a really small island with a pretty small population. I don't think there's more than maybe 10 or 15,000 people in the province. I know I don't think there's that many people on this island. The islands are so close together that it's like you could say, oh, we're going to go to this island to, ha to eat at this restaurant and you hop in a boat and that boat drives three minutes to another island and you hop out and you pay them a dollar and you eat, right? Like uh, boat culture is very much a way of getting around. And so you were, oh, we're gonna go to that island or we're gonna go to that spot or, oh, we're gonna go to that beach. You hop in a boat and you go and there's boat taxis and that's how you get around on water. And then there's communal taxis getting around town and then the occasional little basito, you know? And, and so owning a car is pretty optional in my particular context. I have like an e-bike. Because I have a basket on the back and I can put my dog in it oh if God, I need to. I love that. And like, it's just, it's, you know, people look at it and they're like, oh my God, you're living this dream, this paradise life. And like, it really is. It's beautiful. I've traded the problems that I had in the United States for different problems. There is no life mm -hmm. without problems, yeah, right? Yeah. And like occasionally the power goes out because they're working on the infrastructure on the islands. Occasionally whatever problems happen, but would I trade the set of problems that I have now for the problems that I had before and go back to sitting in traffic for two hours and coming home at the end of the day, absolutely stressed to the gills because I spent eight hours at work and then two hours in traffic and got home and like, Oh, I gotta make dinner and I gotta work out and I gotta, mm -hmm. and I gotta go to sleep to wake up to an alarm to do it again tomorrow. Fuck no, not in a million years, not in a million years. And I, I know that there are people in the States, my family specifically, who are like, have you forgotten how to drive? Like, whoa, they, they can't imagine what life is here, even I though really it's, can't. You know, it's go, it's go to the store, get your things to eat, cook at home, go out to eat, hang out with the people that you love. I do a lot more go into the beach because it's a hundred feet away from where I live. And I take my dog first thing in the morning and go put my feet in the ocean. And in the afternoon, there's a private little beach. It's not private. It's just a little mm, tourists don't really know about it beach. 
down the road a ways and I'll put my dog in the bike and we'll go down there and freaking and have a couple of drinks and sit in the and chill ocean and just and and I do that the same way I think that other people may have other habits in their life right yeah mine's just oriented around a different thing it is very much more laid back and slow mm-hmm. and I've noticed that when I have the few times I've had friends come and visit they get here and they sleep for days because they're so tired and so strung out and they're in a place at which there's no there's none of this and so it's just like no you ready to go cool let's go oh we'll go somewhere around four-ish oh okay four or five-ish six-ish and everything is like go with the flow see how it goes take it easy and they get here and they have the opportunity to go with the flow and the flow is like freaking rest recuperate yourself take some time regather your energy let's go and enjoy and then come home and rest some more and and i see them have to go into this really restorative place before they can even match the vibe here because i've also had friends who come and they're like where are we going what are we doing what are we going we gotta eat we gotta go here we gotta this and it's like yo tranquilo because i don't know why you're in such a rush it's all here and it's all gonna happen what if it rains tomorrow it won't rain the next day or the rain stops a few hours later like you know what i mean it's just i i really wanted to slow things down and i didn't realize how slow things could be on the flip side the city bitch in me likes to go and visit the city and go see amazing art and go to clubs and go to festivals and dance it up and tear it up and all that. But I get to do it in an opt-in situation rather than a default situation. Mm. And uh, that's, that's really been, that's really been where I feel like the richness comes from. It's like, I also have to put a lot of effort into my own personal community and stay connected outside of this small place to people around the world and, and build a network in which this little tiny island doesn't become the only thing in my world. And, uh, and so it's, it's really this interesting balancing act, but you know, I don't wake up to an alarm. I set my own schedule for work. I time block really specifically. Most of my calls and clients don't start until after 11 or 12 in the afternoon. Um, my boyfriend works in the afternoons and evenings cause he's in the tourism industry and that's when he's the busiest. So we usually spend mornings together. I get out of bed when my dog is ready to go to the beach. We go to the beach for about 20, 30 minutes. First thing in the morning, get some sun, put my feet in the ocean, come back, make breakfast, hang out with Poppy for a little bit. Okay. Okay. He goes to work. I go to work around three or four in the afternoon. I take a break, take my dog to the beach again for a couple hours till sunset come back to work for a few hours in the evening keep it chill baby I know people are having some people not everybody (laughs) but some people are having like anxiety just thinking about it because like people like me that because my mentor has got me to stop the hustling for the past couple of years since I met her especially the last year and I, I just can't like I cried yeah. the first time that she was like you need to get off the overtime desire list and I was like but no how is the mail gonna go if I'm not yeah. there like I have to work 10 hours uh, 12 hours six days a week <laughs> you yeah. know 
And now that I have been slowing down and this year I got a taste of like the good life, you know, cause I took two weeks off from uh, work in January. So I was starting the year yeah. of like detaching from work. Yeah. Girl, I have had a, such a hard time after I came back from Arizona. I don't want to go to work. I, that alarm sounds and I just want to throw my phone you know, like yeah. I'm tired and now talking to you now I miss Puerto Rico. Like I yeah. want to go back to Puerto Rico. <laughs> Yo, you know, I think one of the, I mean, I don't want to have any mistakes. I am a highly driven person. I see something Ooh, I yeah, desire yeah, and I build yeah. it. Right. But one of the, I had to come to terms with, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Gabor Mate. He's an expert in addiction. And it, you know, for him, it all stems to childhood trauma. But when he talks about addiction, he doesn't just talk about socially unacceptable addictions. He talks about socially acceptable addictions. And one of the socially acceptable mm. addictions is work addiction and productivity addiction. And this wow. idea that I am not productive if I'm resting, I'm not being productive. If I'm just sitting and enjoying myself quietly, that if I have a hobby, I can't just do it for the sake of having that hobby. I need to make money doing that hobby. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, I think, um, you know, and he, it, it all boils down to trauma. Am I good enough? Damn. If I am not actively productive, am I good enough standing, doing nothing, listening to music, vibing in the desert, being absolutely unproductive, do I still have value? And I think for a lot of us who grew up in that hustle culture, um, my mom, I saw her as an entrepreneur grind and grind and grind and never take a break because her business was always the thing that she had to focus on. And I had to come to terms with in listening to him as a he's an incredible expert, his books, his videos, anything you can get your hands on by Gabor Mate. Dame cinco minutos, cariño. Give me five minutes. And it, anything that he's really created helps us not only understand and empathize with people who are suffering from socially unacceptable addictions, but it brought me to terms with how I was addicted to work in my own life and how I was viewing myself as insufficient because if I was not being productive, I was not of value which meant that I didn't inherently value myself for who the fuck I was mm. naked standing in a desert doing jack shit. Right. Yeah. And so in helping and working, and I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, I've overcome it entirely, but it's something that I've seen as a generational trauma in my family and have made a particular effort to sever myself from this addiction to productivity and find ways to value myself and enjoy my life without this need to be productive in order to heal myself of this insecurity that I'm not enough simply by fucking existing on the world, that I belong here, even if I am entirely unuseful. Yo. Wow. Right? <laughs> like my fuck right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god that's awesome though but yeah I, I could talk to you forever and ever I am me too, so excited me too. this, this is been so awesome. great I love it I love uh, it where can my listeners find you um on social media I am at ibottlelightning on pretty much every platform bottledlightning.co is my website 
feel free to send me an email at hello at bottledlightning.co if you just want to reach out and connect. Um, but those are those are real easy places for you to find me. And then, of course, I'm Starlight on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Like I said, I had yeah. such a great time. You brought yeah, me back it. home. I, mean, I love you speaking Spanish that second. I was like, I oh, just thought so cute. I love it. <laughs> yeah, girl, when you head to Puerto Rico, let me know. I've got some friends and family there I need to go visit as well. So you never know. Our paths could cross. Plus, Heck I really yeah. like on my bucket list, I want to see fucking Bad Bunny in Puerto Rico. Wouldn't that oh, be nice. insane? I love that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely we'll keep in touch <laughs> okay it was so nice being here thank you so much Francie thank you so much for listening to another episode you can find my podcast in all major platforms as well as YouTube you know you th do your thing like and subscribe hope you have a blessed day ciao